podcast here for hopefully at least the next like 10 years. Yeah. Woo. <laughs> Commitment. Hi, welcome to 1001 Books, the podcast where we read the 1001 books the experts say you're supposed to read before you die and decide if they're really worth your time. I'm Nicole, a lover of Harry Potter and historical fiction. And I'm Chelsea, also a lover of Harry Potter and any good book that's going to make me cry. Yay! Today we're recording in a new location, Chelsea, because you just moved into a new house. Yeah, Jeremy, my fiance, and I, we bought a house in the last couple of weeks, and we're all starting to get settled in, so it's our first recording in our new podcast home. And even in this new house, we're going to have a podcast room eventually. Yay! (laughs) So, pretty exciting. Um... Yeah, Chelsea, so you've obviously been real busy. Yeah, but I still had a little bit of time for reading. Okay. So why don't you start and tell us what you read now, and then I'll go. So in the whole time that you've been moving and we haven't really been reading podcast books, I rapidly reread all the Throne of Glass books so I could read the last one, which just was published. Uh, These are by Sarah J. Mass. Mm -hmm. And I read the last one. And I can't talk about it because you haven't read it yet. I haven't finished it yet. You're reading them. My mom's, you're rereading them. My mom's reading them. And neither of you are close to getting the last book. And I'm just dying to talk about it. I finished, uh, what's the third one called? Uh, Air of Fire. Air of Fire, like two days ago. So I finished Air of Fire. So I'm about to move to the fourth one. So you still have Queen of Shadows, Empire of Storms, Tower of Dawn, and Kingdom of Ash, which is the newest one. Yeah, I have five, four left. Yeah, that's all. And they're long. The last book is a thousand pages. Is it? Yeah. And I... I Did you buy it? Yeah, because I have all all of them, so I need to have the set. So if I beat your mom, can I borrow yours? Yes. It's it's at my parents' house, which is close to where you live anyway, so it'll be easy. Perfect. Um, And yeah, and so I read it, and it was... I was great because I read the entire 1,000 pages in one day while recovering from Which some dental insane. surgery until, like, my eyes felt like they were bleeding. But it was the best way to get to read the end of such a long series. Yeah, that's nice. What have you been reading? Um, I just have had time for to listen to a couple of, like, easy-peasy uh, books on tape. And then this book, I listened to most of this book on audiobook. But today I started a new audiobook, and it is called Hood. Or, yeah, Hood. Yes. Yes, it's called Hood by Stephen Lawhead. I can't even remember its name, but I do know what it's about. It's a Robin Hood retelling. That's cool. Um, And so I'm pretty excited for it. I know it's a series. I think one of the other ones called like Sherwood or something. So it kind of follows that. Um, It seemed pretty good for the first like 15 minutes I got to. Hopefully... By the time you hear this, I will have had time to read, which will be so <laughs> yeah. great. After my move, I like I realized I hadn't picked up a physical book in a month, and it was the saddest thing. And then once I could, it felt like a piece of me was coming back to myself. Yeah. You know? <laughs> and I feel like I need to apologize a little bit in this episode. My voice probably sounds pretty hoarse. On top of moving, it's been conferences um, for my school for teaching, and so I've done a lot of of talking (laughs) in the last week or so and my voice is definitely like on its way out so (laughs) sorry about that if it sounds a little bit like huskier than normal but it is what it is there you go um the book we read for this week's podcast was our second Kazuo Ishiguro book and it was published in 1988 and it is called The Remains of the Day it is the book that he actually won the Nobel Prize for in literature it has also been made into a movie um and just for his most famous it's his most famous book and just for a little bit of reminder background um he's a Japanese writer who's living in England 
and he has five or six really like well decently well-known novels and yeah. we've read the previous one for the podcast that we read was called a pale view of the hills. pale view of hills and what's crazy is that that was just two episodes ago and it was probably the most like the most we've ever disagreed about mm-hmm. a book on the podcast very strong uh, feelings and and i had gone into it knowing that i didn't like a book i read outside the podcast of his and then we were like well there's another book by him on the list but we probably won't draw that out of the hat forever and then literally like that very night i drew it out of the out of the jar fate was looking out for nicole so, you know so we read another one so i've read like two books by this guy where i do not like him um immediately and as a result of the, how crazy a pale view of the hills was i just read this whole book really suspicious that there was going to be a plot twist that i wouldn't catch because you know? of our discussion from two episodes ago yeah yeah and i'm excited to hear um if your feelings about him changed in this book but before we get to that We're going to talk about our one-word descriptions. What is your one-word description for this novel? Classism. What's yours? Boring. (laughs) Pretty on the nose. Pretty on the nose. Um, Yeah, I was a very firm like. I liked the previous book by him, um, and I have some feelings about this one (laughs) that we'll get to in a little bit. But, um, Nicole, can you give us a quick plot before we go into our spoiler section? Yes, so... A butler goes on a road trip in post-war England and reflects on what makes a good butler, the build-up to the war, and his own life choices and thoughts on the class system. Uh, So, yeah, so this book is about a butler who's been a butler. So you're getting into more detail if you don't want to hear it. Look Look in the the show notes. Show notes and we'll say when we kind of get off the details. Um, And he's getting to, and he's like, now he's working for an American because kind of the old aristocratic family that he used to work for uh, most of his working career isn't around anymore. And he, so he's going on a road trip um, to, to this, visit this woman who used to be the housekeeper mm-hmm. um, to ask if she wants to come back and work at, again. Cause he feel, and, but the whole time he's just reflecting on like, this is what, like what I think that dignity, the dignity that it takes to be a real English Butler. And then he's also like, you're getting glimpses of how his, um, b- main boss that over most of his life that's now dead was someone who between World War One and World War Two was really trying to appease Germany and then eventually Hitler um, and that you know and then he really strongly believes that even though he turned out to be somewhat of a, basically a Nazi sympathizer mm-hmm. without saying that that his heart was in the right place to try to yeah. have the repeace and then you also learn that basically that probably this woman that he's going to see loved him back in the day when they both and worked he and he didn't. loved her and he just was like so focused on being a butler and the, the dignity that he needed to have that he didn't have the ability to connect with her emotionally yeah. and that, and that's like and then he goes to see her and she doesn't want to come and work and he kind of realizes in a very slight way that maybe he missed out on an opportunity but it's almost like he he physically doesn't have the capacity to feel deep emotions about p- yeah. other people and so then he just kind of gets ready to return to his normal life and that's that so there's not a lot of change yeah there's not a lot of character growth in it um I will say this book spent a lot of time a lot of time explaining what this um particularly man particular man (laughs) sorry Chelsea's cats are fighting right next to us (laughs) so we're on our guard that we don't get a angry cat in 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 our laps (laughs) 
Go on. All right. <laughs> so I will say that this book spent a lot of time really focusing on that idea of what it means to be a butler, like Nicole touched on, but in the way that it was so long talking about it, it'd be like a long stretch about why polished silver was important. Yeah. Or why, um, how here are all the people who are really famous butlers who did really good things that are in this, his butler society that he's kind of, he's kind of bitter that he's not in it because his previous, um, I almost called him owner. That's what I was thinking too. Yeah. Employer. Employer. Uh, isn't prestigious because he was a Nazi sympathizer. So this butler yeah, can't in retrospect. It. He wasn't, but in the moment people thought that he was doing the right thing. That but so now he yeah. can't get into this butler society that he wants to be in. And all I felt was while listening to that was while I know it was building, <laughs> the cats are really on point tonight. Um, hear bells in the background. Sorry. Um, while I know it was building like his kind of character mm-hmm. and his kind of like feelings of, how he was just really so focused on his job and that's what he'd built his life to be and he didn't have any understanding of anything else really. Yeah. Um, it was so dry to listen to and I like found myself like zoning out and then I have to be like, no, 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 I have to listen to this. There might be something important. Yeah. Let me dial it back and try and re-listen. Um, and so I thought this book was particularly hard to listen to and be engaged in fully. I listened to it all on audio, too, because I'm on a, like a road trip for work, going out of town for work. And I um, I would say, yeah, I think that the, the, the that's probably the first half of the book where that's all yeah. he's talking about. Um, and I was more interested in, like, learning about the Nazi sympathizer <laughs> <Sorry>. stuff. Okay. <coughs> but I was more, but, and so I was more interested in the Nazi sympathizer stuff, but I, um, but the dignity, like, Butler stuff. I felt like was because the whole time I was reading the book, I was like, what's the twist? What's going to be the weird yeah. tense change? And if anything, I feel like the author is saying, cause he's like an expat who moved to England. Right. And mm-hmm. I feel like he's kind of making, he's making fun of the how and saying how, you know, English people probably look down on Japanese hierarchical society, things about it, but that they're, they're worse, you know? Yeah. Um, and that it's, uh, um, that basically that like their classism like sucks the souls out of people and, and it's made this guy totally soulless because his entire identity is in, in this thing that nobody cares about anymore because like the, the era is like a, his era is gone but he's still around but the craziest thing in the whole book is that when he said he talks about all these definitions about what the dignity of a butler is and then he says the moment in my life when I most achieved that dignity and then he describes like a weekend event before like not too long after World War One, yep. where all these um, rich people from various European countries are gathering to talk about like how they can maintain the peace because Germany is suffering so much because of the reparations and that and that they are worried that's going to lead to the rise of fascism, mm-hmm. which of course it did, but because um, they're so impoverished by the like Versailles, Treaty of Versailles. But um, his dad also worked there as the underbutler because when his dad got older, he couldn't he handle a full butler so job, he, and so he came there. And literally during that party, his dad dies, mm-hmm. has a stroke and dies, and he doesn't go and sit with him like in his last moments because it's it's so important that he says the party. And to him, that that's the best moment of him as a butler because he maintained his dignity in the face of like a personal tragedy and didn't like miss a beat. 
but that's so sad and it that's felt, so sad um <laughs> it felt like it was almost when i was reading it he felt almost like sociopathic but not in the way we think of like violent sociopaths but like in that all human emotion had been bred and like taught out of him like that he didn't know how to access it anymore it was gone so it was like the lack of emotional connection he had to any event was really kind of jarring yeah it felt felt very like robotic and i think that ishiguro is saying that the aristocratic system in england um, like this is what it does yeah. not just to the rich people themselves but all the people that are contributing have to live within the system that it makes that takes away their ability to connect with other people yeah and I think it did um, a decent amount of that commentary and I think especially it's really telling because of that impulse we both had to say like owner mm-hmm. rather than employer yeah um, because while he is a butler and not a slave it definitely felt like he was kind of slave to the idea of what he thought a butler should be, and he didn't really know how to break from that. Yeah. Um, and that he wasn't anything without that job, so it is like it owned him. Right, and I feel like in that lens, it makes him like the horrible, like completely false thing of the happy slave. Mm-hmm. Like he's a slave to the system and he's happy about it, which I feel like people, lots of things are made to like that real slaves have been, were happy, you know, but obviously that that's completely made up propaganda. Yeah. That's not, never happened. Um, but that, that this is like in, in their system, that's what he is. Yeah. Which is crazy. All that to say, I agree that the book was boring. <laughs> yeah. No, I just, it um, wasn't, I, I didn't despise it. Hey, it's my common refrain. I didn't despise it. I didn't like it. But this one, I just felt um, the books that I always feel worst about in the podcast are the ones that I don't even have any feeling about. Like, I can't even muster a feeling either way. Um, And while I think that the author was trying to make points that could really resonate with me, like the idea of how these aristocratic systems that are essentially caste systems, just not labeled that, um, what they do to all parts of the population. um, And also um, making commentary on how, which I think we should talk, touch on how um, you can sometimes not see faults in people that you respect or care about, even when they're very jarringly obvious faults. I think the points he was trying to make were really powerful points um but it just like missed the mark for me in terms of that and I think that maybe the dry tone of it that made it's intentional it's intentional because he's it's like a mirror image of how the society is so dry like and I think I kind of that's what I expect from an author who likes um to do weird stuff tonal stuff like this yeah so I think and, I, and listening to an auto with audio with, like, a person reading it with a British accent, I feel like that really came across. Mm-hmm. That it's, like, the tone of this book is, like, representative of an era mm-hmm. uh, in a certain part of society. And that is something that this author does consistently is his books all have a very distinct voice and tone, the ones yeah. I've read. Yeah, so even though I didn't think it made for a really great read, which... I still think has to be like a big part of if a book is good or not. Um, I 
get like what he was trying to do artistically in this one probably more than I did in A Pale View of the Hills. Mm -hmm. Um, But maybe it's just because I read and learned more about this society than the one in A Pale View of the Hills. So I can like it was more obvious to me what he was trying to do. Yeah. So it was easier to see from the beginning. Yeah. But Um, but let's talk more about the Nazi sympathizers. Yeah. Um, Because it comes out really slowly in the book and you kind of like, you have your suspicions, but not really until the very end is, does the him as the narrator explicitly say, I feel like I hate, like he's sad that the kids, this employer's legacy is lost because he was, you know, even what he did, he did with a good clear conscience, even if it turned out to be the wrong thing in the Mm -hmm. end. Um, but I was really fascinated about how, you know, in between the wars, this guy and I'm this happened like these aristocrats from these various nations gathered to try to keep the peace. Yeah. And it's just and then the, at one of the meetings, there was an American there and, and he kind of like got frustrated and was like, you guys don't get to control politics anymore. Like po- in the post World War One world, these decisions aren't going to be made in aristocratic like weekend just country by houses, you. This isn't you know? what the world looks like anymore. Yeah. Which I felt like was really profound. But that, yeah. You know. Um, and then just that, and that he originally started because he had like a German friend that he made before the war that was like suffering in post-World War One Germany. And it is true that maybe if Europe, the other European powers hadn't made Germany pay all the reparations, we could World War Two could have been prevented. Could have prevented, but you, know? you can't, in hindsight, can't change. Right. Yeah. And if thinking about that, like, oh, we want to encourage people, like the, his employer was trying to encourage people to go through private citizens to encourage the government to end the reparations. I was like, oh, probably... If I lived in that time, that's what I would think we should do, too. Mm-hmm. But, like, that led so naturally into, like, oh, Hitler's risen to power, and he's, like, making Germany more prosperous, and so you automatically support that. Yeah. Which is so wild, you know? Well, mm. and it was really interesting, too. Um, That is the one part of the book I found really interesting, but that's just because anything related to World War II, I'm like, yes. <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah. But I thought it was really interesting, too. There was a section about how he fired the two Jewish employees oh, on yeah, staff. Oh, yeah, I forgot that, yeah. And it was so – this part I actually really enjoyed. It was so interesting. He was talking about how the rumors of us never employing Jewish people are – those aren't true. We never would have done that. We had Jewish people on staff. And then he immediately feeds into a story where his um, employer asked him to – fire the two Jewish people on staff and he did it and he really upset the woman that he loved because of it um and he just he was just like well I just had to fire them it it wasn't working out I couldn't not fire them it had nothing to do with it I just those were the two that needed to be fired like he couldn't rationalized it right away he rationalized it and he like even though in one sentence he'd say Mr. Darlington said the two Jewish people on staff needed to be fired. Mm-hmm. The next sentence he was able to turn around and be like, and then I just had to let them go. And like, he totally like had no connection that he couldn't defend that decision because he had fired the Jewish people on staff, the Jewish people on staff. Um, and so yeah. it was very um, interesting how quick he was to uh, cover up his employer's mistake and how I thought it, it was an interesting look at how if you respect someone, they can take slow steps towards a really racist or really um, any of those isms, yeah, like t- something sexist, terrible, yeah, any of that stuff. 
they can take small steps towards it and it can be a long time before you realize it. And you won't question it. And you won't question it because you're blinded by your respect or your adoration for them. Um, And I thought that that was really interesting because it did seem like his employer did take a very slow descent into Nazi sympathizing. Like he didn't intend to be there in the beginning, at least from the viewpoint we can see, but that is where he ended up. Yeah. And, uh, how hard it was for the butler, the main character, to really notice that was really interesting to me and intriguing. It makes me think about, like, Bill Cosby was, like, first accused of being a rapist, like, a few years before, and nobody believed the first women, like, that came out. And then, like, a few years later, it kind of resurfaced because, like, 50 women had accused him and one of them had, like, better evidence and stuff. And then then it, like, went to court, you know? But, um... Outside of the whole like believing women, that's like not real. That's not in this book, so we don't need to talk yeah. about it. But the but that except it, for it, do believe women, I do believe women, obviously. <laughs> but that it was really hard for um, like people like I think were even more likely to not believe those kind of accusations because of their image of him, mm-hmm. even like someone they didn't know personally, but just like such an image of being like America's father figure that they couldn't yeah. imagine that he was like drugging women and sleeping with them for decades. You know, because he's had an image of a fa- being a family man. Yeah. And I feel like there's lots of cases of that. And and I, I think that, yeah, it's that's definitely true what he shows in this book. Yeah, and I thought that that was really interesting. And I think um, anytime I get to read about how people made a, like, a descent into being a terrible human being. Yeah. Or to sympathizing with sympathizing with terrible human beings and how easy it is to miss that going on in the moment. I find that very intriguing and very engaging. And so that was the part of this book that I thought was really intriguing was that like how easy it is to ignore the signs in the moment. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's definitely like it's the Butler character is like the least interesting character in the book. Yeah. Oh, and, like, he definitely you, is. I want to hear about, like, the, the guy who descends into being a Nazi sympathizer from somebody else's perspective. Like, I want to hear more about him, but we're only getting the butler's perspective. And I want to hear more about the woman that loved him, like, and what really was going on in her head. And I want to hear more about his dad and what's really going on in his head. But you only get his mm-hmm. his perspective. And it's, it's hard to um, sympathize with him because he doesn't have any real emotions that he's really showing. Like, he obviously loves the woman, but he doesn't really understand that. Like, he can't really show that. Yeah. He can't really talk about it. I feel like there's, like, a very small moment at the end where he has, like, a slight realization that, like, some, something's missing. Like, I'm missing something. But then he just goes back to his normal stuff. You know? Yeah, and so he's very hard to empathize with because he doesn't yeah. really show that full range of human emotion. So he's not the character that you're drawn into in this story. Which, again, I think all these things that we're critiquing are stylistic points the author made. Like, he did it intentionally. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> which, is, which is interesting because I feel like sometimes that stuff happens and we're talking about themes for the podcast. And it's I'm kind of like, are we reading this into it? Like, I don't think the author really had the kind of control that we're ascribing to them. But with this guy, I really feel like he does. Um, and Which, which is, is weird because I don't li- like... That's I don't, what I was about not, to comment on. This book, on. I feel like I still, like, don't want to read anything else by him because I haven't, like, three books now. But, like, that's a lot to give an author three books. Uh-huh. Um, but I feel like I respect him as – and maybe that's why he won the Nobel Prize, that, like, command of 
the yeah, I, and stuff. But. And I've liked two out of the three books. So I would read another book by him. Um, but I do think it's pretty inarguable that he has a good ability to shift his writing style for the point he's trying to make. Yeah, I just think that he could make his books if he has good like he might he has good things to say but he needs to make them more accessible to the average reader and i but then maybe they wouldn't be as good to the people who like them that's that's kind of my point like i wonder if he not dumbed them down it's not about dumbing something down but if he made them more accessible i wonder if it would be as as powerful those shifts that he's making yeah because the fact that his books they're all kind of like high literature, mm-hmm. like they're literary fiction. Like but they're sure. easy to read literary fiction. Yeah, but they they all have a pretentious undertone. True, but I don't find them as hard to read as like the Mandarins. Oh, def- yeah, definitely not. I mean, that's also a translation. That's True. Part of it, but, um, but they're, and they're from a different era. You know, this book came out in 1988. The Mandarins came out in the 50s. Yeah. <laughs> so... That's part of it. I just, yeah, I guess I this book gives me a grudging respect for him, even though I still think A Pale of the Other Hill was terrible. Yeah. <laughs> and me before. No. No, that's not what it's called. Before it's we called, go. Bef- mm. Crap, I can't think of what it's called. I was going to say me before you. That's not correct. No. <laughs> uh, never let me go. Never let me go. There you go. Wow. Did I have any of those words? You nope. Said, you said before we go. You before had we go. go. Okay. <laughs> um. I I didn't like that one either. I liked that one. I liked I've liked two out of the three with him. So I don't think yeah. for me this personally isn't. Um, oh, you know I'm looking at this. Oh, he he also has this book also won the Booker Prize on the yeah. cover. He won. The, we, we don't really respect the Booker Prize too much though, right? But I mean, yeah, we've read a lot of Booker Prize winners, and, and we, we don't have, love them as much in general. Which I always because we always thought that that was like about the best, um, but it's just like the best book published in england it could be an author from anywhere yeah but i thought it was an intentionally international prize but it's not it's just like the best mm-hmm. book published in english um and so it could be an english speaking writer who re- wins it but yeah it seems like they pick kind of weird ones yeah <laughs> even though i didn't like this book um that was a voice crackle for y'all um even though i didn't like this book i would still read more of this author i know you probably won't but i would read <laughs> no 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 <laughs> I would read more of this author because I still, I really appreciate his tonal shifts. And I think it's interesting that he can write so differently with each book. Um, This one, however, is my least favorite of the ones I've read. So that kind of is where it is. And I think we could probably say if we think this is a book people should read before they die. Yeah. Do we think so? No. No. (laughs) I don't think. It's fine. It's not great. And it's a quick read. I mean, I don't think it's a terrible. And it gave us, it had meat for us to talk about, which sometimes the books don't have yeah. any meat. But it's just, uh, it's just pretty dry, you know. And I wouldn't say that I like. If someone said they really like Never Let Me Go, I would say, you know, you should read his other books. Here's what one is about. Here's what the other is about. Whatever sounds more interesting to you, read it. Because I think there is an audience for this. Yeah. Um. It just wasn't me because I'm not really, here's the other thing. I think if you were really into like old English culture, like the culture of butlers and the culture of all that, this would be really engaging for you. But that's like 
not my history porn. Like that's not what I'm into in history. You know yeah. what I mean? Like yeah. I'm into World War II lit and Victorian era. Like yeah. this is not it. So um, I think there is an audience that would find this really engaging and really interesting. It just wasn't my, I'm not that audience. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I agree. Well, we thought for our next segment, we could talk a little bit about the politics and ethics of having servants in the first place. Yeah. In, the, in our modern era. Um, not that either of us will ever have enough money to have a servant. Well, and I just thought that this was really interesting because it brought up this book really like brings up a whole another side of like servants yeah um and i first of all i wonder like nobody calls people servants anymore no no <laughs> like so you probably have like what do you call them you have a cleaning lady who comes once mm-hmm. a week maybe you have a nanny i mean yeah that's like um, but i wonder why that cultural shift from using that word servant um really happened which I think is really interesting because I think it is kind of a we've become more broad-minded and liberal and we don't want to call yeah but then it's like still true that people hire like undocumented people so they don't have to pay them yeah. a living, like a legal wage and stuff uh and so um yeah I took some I took some women classes in college where we read some stuff about how women who hire other women to watch their kids and clean their houses and if you're a feminist, you got to pay them like really well to do that because you uh-huh. have to say that that traditionally women's labor is is has like a high monetary value, you know. But that's still how it's like a d- difficult like yeah. ground, you know. Um, I never anticipate having the kind of money that to even like hire someone to clean my house once a week. <laughs> so no, I don't, I don't think it'll either. Come up. But I do think that it's true that people who do servant jobs are like underpaid because it's traditionally women's work and i think the um i think like nanny culture um is something that's kind of entirely different in our current culture from like how yeah um, we treat like other people who like are landscapers doing service, yeah, stuff, service yeah. jobs yeah um, gardeners and tr- yeah i with how easy it was to see in this novel, how much like that servant culture affected this one character. It does make me wonder like how much does like the value we place on those jobs, like cleaning and gardening really affect those people that has those jobs. And like, how much are we uh, creating like master servant relationships and dynamics in our culture still uh without even realizing it yeah i think yeah it's still an issue um yeah so do you think we should draw the next book i think we should i know that was a short section but this is a fairly long episode so i'm ready to hear our next book how about you yes our next book is called the elegance of the hedgehog which is an amazing name whatever it it is is an amazing name i'm really excited to see what we get to read for this book yeah so listen next week for a book. it's gonna be about elegant hedgehogs hopefully i hope that it, i hope it is you about, bought into my literal name i really hope that it is about like a sentient hedgehog that like wears a little bow tie <laughs> that's what i hope i'm so. putting it on the list automatically if that's what it's about so yeah book 34 the elegance of the hedgehog we'll see you here you'll hear us next week 
Uh, until then, you can reach out to us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. At 1001bookspod. Or on Litzy. At 1001bookspodcast. Or email us at 1001bookspodcast at gmail.com. And you can always rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. We are so excited that you came to listen today. And until you talk to us next time or listen to us next time, <laughs> happy, happy reading. reading.